How G with the Golf Insiders. We are on the eve of our national championship. The U.S. Open, the 120th U.S. Open being played. Hooray! No, not in June. It's September. But with all that we've been through with COVID-19, all that New York State and the Big Apple has been through, this is really a joyous week and we are so lucky to be spending time with one of our favorites Damon Hack from the Golf Channel and co-host of Morning Drive who is there and uh, back in a city that he spent a lot of time as a journalist. Hello Damon. Holly G great to talk with you 12 years spent here in New York um, covered golf in the NFL uh, for the New York Times and Sports Illustrated, covered the Knicks a little bit, covered golf for Newsday, and uh, was at the U.S. Open 14 years ago, and Phil Mickelson famously doubled the 72nd hole to lose to Jeff Ogilvy. So when I walked up the golf course today for the first time in 14 years, my mind went all the way back uh, to 14 years ago when I thought I'd be covering Phil win three straight major championships instead. It was uh, the calamity on 18, and yeah, I'm such an idiot, quote that followed. Exactly. One of uh, Phil's all-time uh, all quotable quotes. Um, so much history at this golf course. Uh, A.W. Tillinghast, one of the most prominent golf course architects of the day, was hired to build the course. Um, it opened in, was it 1921? Yes. And my... Goodness, what a history the club has had, Damon. Um, just to review U.S. Opens here, let's take our listeners way back. 1929, it was Bobby Jones winning at Winged Foot, plus six, won it way back in that day. And then we had 1974, Hale Irwin uh, beating out the likes of Arnold Palmer and a few others, plus six. Seven. I don't know if you know that's the highest uh, over par in major championship history. Fuzzy Zeller winning it in 1984. Uh, I don't know if it was softer or gentler then, but he won it with a score of minus four. And then, of course, as you mentioned, Jeff Ogilvy, Jeff who? The Aussie from down under winning in 2006 plus five. So you know, just those overpar numbers tell us this is one tough test of golf. This is one of those clubs, Holly G, where they say he can host a major championship uh, on short notice. Uh, I talked to the great historian, Neil Regan, last week, who said this golf course is ready to host a national championship in June uh, and every day after. I tell you, this is a place where, and you mentioned Bobby Jones winning in 1929, so it immediately... Uh, gets national acclaim and it's only continued to grow in stature and lore with the champions that it's had with the great uh, championships that's hosted in the men's and women's games. Uh, Betsy Rawls won the, on the East Course here. Uh, you had uh, Suits Burning win on the East Course in 72. So it is a place, uh, you mentioned Hale Irwin. Uh, Billy Casper got it done as well in 1959 by laying up on the par 3 third hole of four days in a row, uh, and beating Bob Rosberg and also beating the then head professional Quad Harmon, of course, one of the masters in 1948. So the history here, the, the head prof 
professionals have all been wonderful players. Uh, Tom Diaporti was a longtime head pro who won PGA Tour events. So the, the club has great players among its membership, great players among its head professionals, and the list of champions here. Uh, you know that if you want a U.S. Open at Wingfoot, that you have played uh, the best golf uh, possibly that can be played. Yes, uh, you mentioned Claude Harmon Sr., who was the longtime Wingfoot head professional, uh, served at the club from 1945 to 1978. Damon, that is that is quite a quite a run. And as we know, um, you know all the Harmon brothers uh, who uh, came behind and have uh, you know had such great careers as teachers and. Uh, head professionals in the game and and now the third generation um you know with uh claude Harmon the third getting quite a bit of notoriety out there in his own right working with some of the tour players um uh, so yeah this course has so much history i saw claude Harmon the third today he was walking with the dust johnson who is kind of everybody's favorite this week as the world number one he's finished you know outside of uh not finished outside of first or second in the last four starts going back to the PGA Championship. And you mentioned Butch as well, who uh, nice enough to spend some time with Golf Channel on a feature on just the history of the club and what it's meant to him growing up at this club and his family being such a great part of it as well. And, and I can't help but think about the membership, 600 strong here uh, in the area. It's a player's club. Uh, it's one of those places that if you're a member at Wingfoot, you your game will travel. Uh, you know what you're getting into if you're a member of this club, uh, which Dan Hicks is, of course, on part of our broadcast on NBC. Uh, it's a place where uh, the East Course is as, almost as famous as the West Course, maybe underappreciated except for those who get to play it uh, on a weekly basis. But this is part of the incredible area of, of New York golf with Quaker Ridge and Sleepy Hollow you know, Apawamis and Waikagil. It's just uh, this part of the world, you could say, has uh, maybe the best golf courses that, that you can find. Yes, as a, a, a native New Yorker myself, I am a, a bit biased, uh, to say the least. Um, NBC, back with the U.S. Open. Uh, very exciting. Um, good news for you guys in the Golf Channel. And... Uh, what can we expect this week in terms of uh, the TV coverage? Wall-to-wall coverage, Holly. We're so excited uh, to be on uh, back with the USGA after a short hiatus. Uh, you know, neat to see uh, some familiar faces like Mike Davis and Thomas Pagel. In fact, I got to see both of them today, the gentleman helping to set up this golf course uh, along with Steve Robodeau as well. Um, you know, you see Golf Channel coverage starting at 7.30 tomorrow. NBC takes over at 2. Peacock, the streaming service, will be a huge part of the coverage this week as well. So you'll be able to find it and watch it. And, and what an appropriate return uh, for Golf Channel and NBC to be back with the USGA in the 120th U.S. Open. There are a lot of smiling faces around the compound. I was there today, and everyone's excited about a golf course and a championship that really kind of speaks to the essence of of the national championship. You know, back in 74, Sandy Tatum saying we're not trying to embarrass the best golfers in the world. We're trying to identify them. That, of course, the massacre at Wingfoot back in 74 when Hale Irwin won. So it's just a lot of people that are 
kind of luxuriating in the history of this golf course and the renewed relationship with the with the USGA, a lot of happy people, uh, you know, maybe outside the golfers have to tackle, tackle this test starts Thursday morning. Yeah, I love um, the lead story you have on golfchannel.com right now, uh, Ryan Lavner's uh, piece that says, if you like watching pros struggle, has Wingfoot got a show for you? And I thought Webb Simpson in his press conference today, you know, put it very well that, um, you know, Players like the toughest test. Um, you know, that's they're professional golfers. Um, they want to be tested at the highest level. But he made a point that when the, you know, golf course gets on the uh, edge, when they get on the edge of losing the golf courses, we've seen that um, a few times in the past, and that it starts to boil down to luck, that, um, you know, that's not what you like to see for a major championship. And I think most of the players, in fact, I spoke to Gary Woodman, defending champ who went at Pebble last year, and he said that he actually loves this test because it's not tricked up. It's all right there in front of you. It's very hard if you have to go out and hit the shots required. You know, Wingfoot is a course that you don't have to, to trick it up. The, the greens are already going to be difficult and severe. The rough is going to be at its deepest parts five, six inches in length. So it's going to be a real collision of players who want to back versus kind of the new breed, this new era of Bryce DeChambeau at the tip of the spear of guys willing to challenge trouble and, and take on risks, uh, you know, and, and sacrificing some accuracy to be farther down the hole. So uh, Bryce is saying he's not going to stray from his strategy. And you got some guys that are, hey, like, uh, you know, I found out that DJ has a driving iron, 280 yards uh, in his bag. Uh, Gary Woodland told me he put a two iron in his bag took the five wood out so there'll be some players who are going to kind of downshift maybe take advantage of the, of the few opportunities that you have but for the most part this is a place where par is going to be a very good score on most of these holes well we've we've talked about some of the uh you know obvious players um who uh, you know are certainly right now uh at the you know at the top of the leaderboard certainly also coming off the fedex cup and the tour championship um let, let me let me look at a, a couple others of those. Um, really haven't talked a lot about John Rahm uh, in my podcast today. Um, you know, he, he still seems to be a little bit up and down in the critical moments. What do you think about John's chances here? I'll tell you what. I, I learned a little bit more about John Rahm and his win over Dustin Johnson at the playoff at the BMW at Olympia Fields and seeing him have the patience to play a U.S. Open golf course. That was the host back in 2003 when Tim Stewart won. It's not as hard as Wayne Foote. Uh, I think we can all agree to that, but he showed some maturity, you know, had a double bogey uh, penalty, you know, when he didn't mark his ball correctly, and it didn't phase him. He was able to power through that mistake, uh, make an incredible putt to beat Dustin Johnson in the playoff, but I was most impressed by his, not just his length, but his accuracy off the tee. It can be argued, and the stats would back it up, that he's a more accurate driver than Dustin Johnson is off the tee. So I think John Rahm is starting to show the maturity, and he's, he's kind of accepted that he's needed to mature a little bit on, on these difficult tests and knows that he can't lose his temper and win a major championship. But I think he's shown a lot of maturity. He has the game 
to get it done. So I think John Rahm has to be someone to be respected this week. He just has too much game, uh, has shown the ability to, to win on tough golf courses. Uh, Tory Pines, another U.S. Open venue where he won his first PGA Tour event. Memorial, uh, the toughest PGA Tour stops. So, so John Rahm has plenty of game uh, to win around ring play. This was a surprising statistic that I read. Justin Thomas has only had three top 10 finishes at major championships. I was a, a little bit shocked uh, at that. Um, and we know he, you know, hasn't uh, fared too well, um, you know, coming down the stretch in the playoffs. But I can't think of anybody with a better short game uh, and, a, you know, putter when it's on. Uh, what about JT? He he seems to, you know, he he went and played a few weeks ago and said, you know, this is going to be one uh, great golf course to play. I think he's got the right attitude. He's embracing the test that is weak for us. Uh, he's not pushing back against uh, some of the, the trouble that's going to be out there. Uh, his record in major championships is a bit of a baffling stat. Uh, I was aware of that as well. That's well, following the PGA in 2017 when he won the FedEx Cup, but it, it tells you, and I think it tells you, he can be a little impatient, can run a little hot, can drive it a little crooked from time to time. Um, I also think he has a lot of games. The thing I respect the most about Justin Thomas is that he is never satisfied. He's one of those young players that whether he's um, making money, uh, he's made a lot of money, he's won a FedEx Cup, uh, he's just not going to be satisfied. He's going to continue to grind and fight. And, you know, I was talking to Paul Azinger today. Paul called him a trophy hunter. He's someone that seeks trophies and seeks greatness uh, and, and that isn't satisfied with winning three times uh, this past season as he did. He wants to be an all-time great. He's going to put in the work. He's got the game. hits the ball high. Got a great short game. Uh, can be a streaky putter from time to time, but I think JT has plenty of game, and he is well aware of that stat as well, of only having three top tens. It's something he wants to rectify uh, as soon as possible. Um, another guy that I have uh, on my radar uh, is Terrell Hatton. We saw him play the most difficult test at Bay Hill this year in Orlando. Seems like a light years ago, <laughs> Damon. Uh, when he won right here at Arnie's place. And he played one tough golf course uh, that weekend. Um, you know, he, he could be somebody that we could see on the top of the leaderboard. He could, and he has a, a top 10 uh, in the U.S. Open. He also has a top, five, a top six finish at the Open Championship. But he's starting to show the type of game and maturity in the majors. And, and he already played well here. In New York, that was 2018 at the U.S. Open at He finished tied for six. So uh, he obviously loves this area. I look at the guys who played well at Shinnecock Hills, uh, who played well at Oakmont, and who played well if they had the experience at Lakehead. Those are kind of considered my personal factors uh, in the so-called U.S. Open Rota. Shinnecock Hills, Oakmont, and Wingfoot. That's proven that he can play a typical course as well. You mentioned Bay Hill. He's traditionally one of the toughest courses uh, that the PJ Tour pros face. He's one of two guys from England I look at. I look at Joe Hatt, I look at Tommy Fleetwood. Tommy known for driving the golf ball you know, on a string. 
Uh, they both proven that they can play very well here in the United States. Cheryl, of course, has that PGA Tour win. Tommy came just short uh, at the Honda Classic before the COVID break when he went for 18, tried to cut shots instead of his normal draw. I think Tiro Hatton and, and Tommy Fleet would be two guys that maybe outside of the United States, a little bit under the radar, uh, who I would give a second and third look to uh, when you're making your picks for this U.S. Open. And a, a guy that, um, you know, has been so good in 2020, and I think, um, you know, just continues to be um, a little underrated. Uh, you know who I'm talking about, Daniel Berger. Love to see him break through. And he's on a lot of people's short lists because he's just, you know, has a lot of gratitude in his game. Got that win the first back from the COVID break. Small swap challenge. They continue to play well. The heritage as well. He's got a lot of game. Uh, Florida State kid who I think, you know, kind of part of that class of 2011 in high school. Been a little bit left behind the likes of Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth. But he brings a really fiery attitude. But I think what might be aiding him the most right now, in addition to a great game, is kind of the attitude that he has. Uh, he's nearly in tears after his win uh, back when uh, the PGA Tour resumed, uh, just to have an opportunity to play golf again, to be healthy again. And Daniel Berger will definitely be under the radar this week. But I like the toughness of the kid. He's learned a lot about players when they come back from injury and Daniel Berger had that bad hand injury and was almost forgotten by by a lot of us that cover the game as he tees off at 105 off of 10 tomorrow it's definitely someone to watch just because he's got uh, confidence in winning already this year and also the gratitude of coming back from uh, a time where he thought he might not be able to play golf at a high level again well Damon just so many players here but I think this is one of the Courses, uh, you know, we, we didn't mention Tiger, but we've been talking about him and uh, by other podcasts. I, I know you did get a chance to see him play today, so I did want to ask you about him before I uh, have you throw the throw the dart with the blindfold. <laughs> it's going to be so interesting. Ology. I was here in 06. Yeah, he missed the cut, shot 76-76. It was his first event back after his father, Earl, passed away. He did not play well here. And then he went on, of course, to win the Open at Hoy Lake, uh, you know, four weeks after that. He also opened at Wingfoot. He was here in 97. Davis uh, loved the third one, finished well back with Davis. So a lot of time wondering if this is a situation where golf course is going to hit him, or was it a situation where, hey, you know, his father had been sick and had passed away, and then maybe in 97 it was in the beginning of a swing change. So. Uh, this is going to be uh, a deal where he didn't have the reps that he normally would have because of the COVID break. He is almost, you know, under the radar, Holly G, which is amazing to say of a 15-time major champion, but I feel like he's been able to kind of quietly go about his business, no fans here. Um, he has talked about the, the strategy that it takes. He has the patience to adjust his game. He's not going to be taking a lot of wild chances on maybe some of the young bucks like Bryson DeChambeau, but I think quietly, uh, Tiger Woods, uh, because of the resume, because of his adaptability traditionally uh, to difficult golf courses, to any golf courses, uh, you have to give him a puncher's chance. But uh, he looked good when I saw him this morning, but I just don't know if you can kind of 
determine the, the terms of the deal like it used to. You know, it used to be you know, the, the world and the game of golf revolved around Tiger. There are too many players that are younger, that are stronger, that are hitter, that are playing better golf than Tiger Woods is. I would be surprised if he found his way into contention this week. Uh, he's, I think he's maybe more likely to miss the cut, even with him down sifting and maybe playing with some irons off the tee and some three woods off the tee. I just haven't seen enough from Tiger since Sozo to think that his game is in the type of shape necessary to win a U.S. Open at Wimbledon. Well, we know this is going to be one exciting four days as they tee it up on uh, Thursday morning. And uh, now's that time, Damon. Put that blindfold on. Aim at the board. Throw that dart. Who's your man I'm on Sunday? Throwing the dart, and I'm hoping it's uh, a young man from Barica, Spain, who went to Arizona State. And I think it's going to be John Rom. I saw him at the playoffs. I've listened to him speak. I've you know, crunched the numbers and the stats. I like his driving accuracy and distance, the blend of those. Uh, he's showing more patience than he's shown early in his career. And even when he was a little patient, he was still winning big time golf tournaments on both sides of the Atlantic winning uh, uh, the way suited by and, and contending uh, and winning in the playoffs and contending at a player's championship and getting a little hot of the collar on the par 5 and learning from some of those mistakes. I think John Rahm is going to win the national championship, win a U.S. Open, and begin what should become uh, the type of career that's going to yield a lot of major championship trophies uh, for a young man from Arizona State and Barica, Spain. John Rahm's my pick. I love it. I love it. And um, yeah, that would be a great story as uh, we kick off the majors for the new 2021 <laughs> season. My goodness, Damon. Hard to keep track of it all, but we appreciate you breaking it all down for all of us here at the Golf Insiders. Thank you so much and have a great weekend. My pleasure, Holly. Talk to you soon.